Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right. Thanks again for stopping by the Exit Your Way Roundtable. I've got Josh Acosta with me today. We're going to talk about something that many of you may not uh, understand that well. A uh, little bit about uh, some business insurance. And also we're going to talk about a special kind of insurance. It's reps and warranties insurance that helps business sellers and business buyers reduce the risk in a, in a business sale. So, Josh, thanks for being with us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. This is great. All right. Well, Josh, tell me a little bit about yourself. I always like to learn about people and, and kind of, you know, kind of what brought you here today. I mean, have you, you're in Seattle, I'm in the Seattle area. Have you always been a Seattle person? No, so I actually grew up in Southern California, uh, Pasadena, right. California. Uh, so I kind of spent my whole life down there. All right. I uh, moved up to Seattle in 2011 for school and then kind of just loved it and never turned back. Yeah, yeah, cool. There, there definitely are a lot of people that have done that. The, yeah. the, I mean, seriously, though, you go around Seattle and there's there's not that many uh, original, you know, multi-generational Seattle families because of the the influence of Microsoft and Amazon and all the other companies that that came here. So it is kind of a, a, a strange thing uh, to find a native, so to speak. Yeah. But you've been here a while now and and yeah. we were talking before we got on. I mean. You've got a 10-month-old girl. That's got to be awesome. I do. It's in the middle of, you know, this pandemic. She was born in January, early January, so before it all hit. So, you know, obviously it's a, it's a terrible time, but silver lining was to be able to kind of be home with her more than I would have been and, you know, kind of be a part of those first few months. So, yeah, it, it's been wild. It really has been wild. <laughs> it. it's, it's awesome, too, because, like you said, if, if this uh, – if it wasn't like it was and you were probably shut down and staying home, working home a lot more, even now, uh, you just wouldn't have seen a lot of things. Yeah. That, that's no, super completely. cool. Super yeah, cool. It really has been. So, uh, well, let's just ask this. So what has, what has being a father for the last 10 months, how has it changed your mind? I said, I should say. Uh, change your mind about what? Well, just, I don't know. Just in general, just in general. Do you, yeah. feel, do you feel this big responsibility now that wasn't there before? <laughs> Definitely. I feel like there's a working before was, was, was a little bit more for myself and my wife, but now there's a, there's a bigger picture of a family to support. So there's definitely a little bit of added weight um, on my chest there. But at the same time, I feel like it kind of, you know, being in a, in a sales role and a, you know, kind of makes me a little bit more hungry. So that's yeah. been a benefit, you know, so definitely has been, has been great. And it's also made me a, uh, you know, kind of balance my time a little bit better. Feel like be a little bit more uh, productive when I have time, and because I have to. So um, yeah. I was forced into productivity, I guess. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, I went I went through uh quite the change myself. I I I I don't know what it was about having children, but I was like I I felt this sense of responsibility and and I was wild when I grew up and I'll just be real honest about it, you know. Um and uh but but man, when it hits you in the face like that, it's just like, okay, I'm getting my shit together and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a <laughs> I'm going to be good. I'm going to be a good example. And that was my deal. And my kids, and it's funny now that my kids are older because they're both over 21 now. And, and you know, they never saw, saw dad hardly drink a drop when they were, or they were younger. And now they go, oh, dad, you're pretty good at this when you want to be. And, you know, or stuff like that. It's funny. It's, it's funny. It's like, yeah, I had to be responsible while we were raising you. So I was wondering if that, that's, that's a, a little, a little, funny take i guess from my experience but um it's so cool so cool to hear that and and you're you're mentioning that she was just about ready to start walking and, and yeah cruising around coffee tables pushing chairs getting into trouble um she's wild she's she's gonna be a handful so <laughs> it's 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 perfect right i think my mom has been laughing at me because that's the way i was as a kid and she's like yeah you know don't don't talk, don't complain to me you know <laughs> yeah yeah so, it's great. We're having fun though. Having fun for sure. Yep. Have your have your your, your parents been able to see her? Uh, yeah, both of the family have. Um, my my in laws come up a little bit more. Um, yeah, but it's been great. They've been helpful. So uh, you know, COVID put a little bit of a damper on at the beginning, but they've been kind of making up for lost time now. Good. Good. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's cool because you know there's a lot a lot to us as we as I think one of the things that COVID has done that's been really nice is it's it's brought some humanity back into business because when we're doing business from home, I mean, I'm in my home office and, and, uh, and you see a lot of people now, uh, like yourself, like if you're trying to work from home and, and your daughter's around, sometimes it just, it's, it's going to come into your business, uh, conversation. It's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. And I think that's kind of cool because it, it has helped us bring a little more humanity into, into what we do. Nope, completely. And I, I, I completely have, have seen that over the progression, you know, on conversations and at the beginning, apologizing for dogs barking and, you know, yeah. mailman coming, knocking on the door. And I feel like now I'm just like, people just are, are used to it. So yeah, not a lot of apologizing, you know, dogs barking, dogs barking, you get yeah. it, you know, so definitely yeah. understand that. Yeah. There's a guy that I, I've uh, been and there's a call that I'm on. I think it's every other week or something like that. But yeah, you can always tell it's about the time that his kids are going to school. And I think it's so cool because he's got, he's got some, you know, they look like junior high, high school age kids, younger, not older kids, but they always want to come and give their dad a hug before they go to school. I think it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome. That's great. Yeah, it is. It is great. I mean, I spent, um, I don't know, three or four years walking my kid back and forth to school uh to school in the morning i always walked him to school and he always walked home and uh so i would take that part of my day and i just wouldn't schedule anything and i would it was a couple mile walk and it was good for me i got some exercise but it was always fun to do that and and i see now people being able to do it more it's awesome so yeah definitely cool well you've got an interesting background here josh you you've done a lot of different things so tell us a little bit about kind of how you got you know, the progression and kind of how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, completely. So uh, I've actually w- had been dating my current wife 
right? Then when I was uh, in high school, she also grew up in Southern California. Wow. And her father, my father-in-law, actually started and, and runs the owns the brokerage that I work for. Um, okay. Work for now. And so uh, my dad is a an RN, so I grew up knowing I wanted to get in some sort of sales. The only thing I really had access to were medical sales, and that's kind of what I thought. I saw them, you know, taking yeah. all of the cathab out to go play paintball and dinners and things like that. And I thought, yeah. you know, there's a job where I get to go play paintball. That sounds awesome. I want to sell yeah. medical stuff. No idea what I was talking about though. So fast forward dating my wife, current wife now, um, father-in-law was like, Oh, you want to get into sales? Well, I got, I got something for you to sell essentially. Um, so he kind of started planning that bug early. No one really gets into property and casualty insurance on purpose. I don't think, I think it's always, you know, some sort of weird story. Uh, so he planted that bug early uh, throughout college. That was kind of the plan. I get out of college and he says, great, let's go cut your teeth somewhere else. You know, so I was like, yeah. oh, sweet. You know, <laughs> you mean you have a you have a company that I could go work for and you're going to make me go work hard somewhere else first? Yeah. So, um, awesome. I'm like, hands down, best decision he ever made. He's a very smart guy. I am very appreciative that that's the route he took because it forced me to go out on my own, kind of make my own path, start that way and not just get yeah. handed something. It also gave me a lot more respect from, you know, my current colleagues now that I wasn't just, you know, the bosses. Yeah. You know, yeah. Whatever. Um, so I worked at, uh, uh, from a carrier perspective, worked at an Allstate insurance for a few years out of college, kind of just in the grind trying to figure it out. Um, I was offered a position to, to kind of lead something else with a different agency. And that's when my father-in-law stepped in and said, no, you know, you're, you're coming over to my side. So uh, I've been with him ever since. Um, we're a it's United Western Insurance Brokers is the brokerage we, we have. Um, we, are, we have two offices, Southern California and then up here in Seattle. Um, I'm the president of the Pacific Northwest region up here. So we, I kind of manage and, and run this operation. There's another guy down south who's doing the same type of thing. Um, we're licensed in all 50 states. We are a mainly commercial insurance brokerage. So we work with business owners to manage and offload risk, essentially, right? So we do it from a consultative perspective. We're not your traditional salesperson that sells a policy and walks away. We, we are there kind of throughout the year for you as a tool in your tool belt to, to help you manage risks from contractual basis or offloading it to an insurance carrier or internal best practices to kind of help mitigate that risk. Um, and so that's kind of what we do. That's what we work with. Um, and within that, I've been up in Washington, I've kind of started to focus on how I got into backing into this reps and warranties discussion, I kind of got into a lot of tech business, uh, just yeah. being prolific up here in Seattle. And it, it was a nice fit that the, the clientele was just kind of, you know, we see eye to eye on a lot of, uh, of topics. And so that's how I got my start in the, the tech business. The tech world has a lot of M&As going on. And, and I kind of just weaseled my way, figured out a way to kind of <laughs> get into this side of it. Yeah. So, Again, wasn't by purpose, wasn't wasn't because I, you know, tried to. It just one thing led to another and and it kind of just works out well now. Yeah, yeah. Well that's cool. I mean, uh yeah, and, and I can see now you probably met Ruben Ortega, the person that introduced us through through the tech stuff, because I know he does a lot of deal work in the in the tech industry and, and exactly. Uh, 
uh, you know, he's got such awesome experience in, in business transactions and he's a good lawyer. He's a good lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so your, so your insurance now, when you, when you look at this, this is back up to the whole shirt, the, yeah. the entire scope of insurance for businesses, because I think there's, there's a lot of people that, that, that have businesses really kind of get caught in the trap of thinking that insurance is kind of like your home or your car insurance for business. And it, it isn't, there's a lot of things that each individual business needs that, you know, say a construction business is much different than a retail business than, than is a dentist's office. And can you explain some of the, some of the intricacies that you, you've just gone and, and saw that, oh, this, this policy was way wrong, you know, without giving away anything you shouldn't. But I, I think it's interesting for people to really understand about uh, uh, insurance and how it helps you. Yeah, no, completely. And uh, that's, a, that's a huge question, right? And, 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 <laughs> no, but it's a great, it's a fantastic question. And that's really what uh, each industry, when we look at it, you mentioned construction versus, if we just look at construction versus, let's say yeah. tech, right? Yeah. Two totally different industries. There isn't a cookie cutter policy that's going to fit. It's not, you know, What's your age? What's your date? What's your driver's license number? And what car are you driving? You know, on a personal auto policy, it's completely different. And so, what you're looking at is is from a on a construction standpoint, you have multiple lines of business. You have the general liability. So, if they, you know, cause damage, then there's the workers' yeah. compensation. If their employees get hurt, there's the bond to ensure that they're actually doing the work, and there's pollution coverage and commercial autos. I mean, there are a handful of different policies that a, a, a construction company would need. Oh, I see, yeah. With, within all of those lines of coverage, there are, you know, specifics that, that we, we need to delve, dive into of exclusions on policies and is it the right coverage for you? And so the, the, how broad and the, the scope of coverage on the policies is a whole nother discussion. So, it, it really, why you need a broker who specializes in this business insurance is because there's, there's a million questions to ask. And there's and the, a construction manager, a guy running a construction company is great at building things. That, that's what they do, right? He's not supposed to be able to look at his insurance policy and look at, I mean, the insurance companies make these insurance policies so difficult to read. It's what I do and I still get confused when I'm reading insurance yeah. policies. And, you know, no one wants to read them anyways. So it's, it's really, it, you can't just, it's not cookie cutter, right? It, it has to be pieced together and it has to be uh, done appropriately. And, and, and there has to be a relationship. And that's where we come in on this consultative standpoint is I'm not just going to sell you a policy. I need to know about your business. I need to know what risks you face and how you're covering those risks right? Do you want to insure it? Do you want to just take it on the chin if something were to happen? Do you want to offload it contractually by your, you know, your agreements with your clients or, you know, how are we going to handle all of this? And so that's where we then learn about our client, understand what they're facing, what they want, what their goals are, what their risk tolerance is. And then we back into it and say, here's how we create a plan for you. Here's what we should do with this. Here's how we do this and so forth. And 
the same approach goes for all types of business, but again, it's just the, the risk they face is going to be completely different yeah. from a tech company. It's a lot of cyber, a lot of, you know, cyber liability or cyber crimes or data breaches. Those are big uh, professional liability. So their ENO or errors and omissions exposure is large. Um, so just a little bit different than what a construction is, but the same approach is taken of let's dive in. I want to learn about what you do use my expertise in managing risk and help you then create a tailored program and portfolio that's going to seamlessly address all areas of the risk that you have. Yeah. There's a couple, and now you started, you started mentioning some terms that got me thinking, right? Um, can you explain, there's a couple of types of insurance. You mentioned ENO. What is ENO insurance and what's it typically used for? Yeah. So ENO, errors and omissions. Um, okay. So errors and omissions, professional liability is a, another term that's they're synonymous. Okay. Um, uh, also think of malpractice from a medical standpoint, okay. so medical malpractice. So when you're looking at an errors and omissions, it's, it's something that you in your professional work caused damage. So for instance, I'm okay. an insurance broker. I tell you, you don't need cyber liability. You don't have an exposure, don't buy it, right? Client says, Josh is the professional. He's, he's the one I should be listening to. I'm not gonna buy cyber. Yeah. Six months down the road, he has a cyber loss. He says, hey, Josh, you told me you made an error yeah. <laughs> in your judgment. Here's yeah. a lawsuit, right? Yeah. So I personally, we have an errors and omissions policy to cover errors I make and omissions I make if I forget to mention something. So that's from an E&O exposure from like a professional standpoint. So a lawyer's okay. same type of thing, okay. an architect, so forth. Um, okay. So that's for that use. It's, it's more for a professional liability kind of thing. Um, yeah. There's another one that I'm familiar with, and that's uh, directors and officers insurance. Now... How is that used? So directors and officers is going to be used to, to uh, protect the, the directors and officers of a corporation if they were to be sued by an outside a third party and an investor. Um, if, if they make a decision or if they do something, essentially, mm -hmm. right, big picture that adversely affects the, co the company, that there's a policy to protect them if they were to be dragged into litigation. Okay. So say we, we decided that we're going to handle this situation this way and it backfires or whatever. And it's, it's above board. It's ethical. Everything we're doing was right, but it just didn't work out in a customer or somebody outside the business for whatever reason, sued us because of that decision. That's, that's what that covers. Roughly, yeah, yeah, that's roughly, the idea. Roughly, yeah. yeah, yeah, this is all rough. <laughs> My world, rough. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because I think there's, I think there's a lot of that stuff. A lot of this terminology. I mean, you have to spend a lot of time with your clients just going over terminology because there's so much lingo in the insurance business. There is a ton, and I'm still learning lingo. I still have to shoot back, you know, questions to to carriers and underwriters like what is SIR? <laughs> Can yeah. you please you know, fill me in on what you meant by that? So there are things like that, right, that happen. And, and that's a hard part of our business is, is tailoring a very complex, hard, big industry and making it accessible to, to our clients who yeah. 
are, you know, in the same way, I don't understand all of the construction lingo or the, I mean, golly, start talking about like the tech world and what they're talking about yeah. with like all of that stuff, yeah. you know? Uh, so, so being able to explain it in a, in an easy, simple way, but still getting the, the severity and the complexity through is, is definitely a challenge. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So you and I connected on, on a deal that we were doing, a, a business transaction where we, we were talking about and considering uh, reps and warranties insurance. That's what kind of started off the, the thought of maybe we should talk about it because I don't think that many people selling a business really even understand what rep representations and warranties are in the transaction and we can talk about that a little bit um but i know even if they understand that they probably don't understand that there's insurance to to help in that situation to reduce the risk there as well so if if you can let's talk about representations and warranty and i'll try to explain it and i'd like you to to fill in if if, if yeah uh, no i'd love for you to go first this is yeah. Your, your focus here. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, my understanding of representations and warranties is, is the, um, the fact of the matter is, is when you sell a business, you're going to say that, listen, I've got these assets. I've got, these are my customers and here's some customer contracts or <clears throat> here's agreements with suppliers or here's employment agreements, whatever. And you're showing there's a ton of this information. It could be, you know, I don't have any tax liabilities and, and uh, you know, or things like that. I have no outstanding litigation is a big one in these. And these are all representations mm -hmm. and warranties. And I don't know the exact term and, and we could get Ruben to help us on this sometime. Uh, but that is my understanding of representations and warranties are, are kind of the the overall those those details that you're sharing with somebody in a transaction, a representation that I make about the business. And is that how you see it as well? Yeah, that's correct. So uh, it, it could be the organization and standing, it could be the capital structure, so stock yeah. or membership interest, uh, uh, like fees, so finder's fees or broker's fees that they're paying, um, uh, like title to securities, so stock and membership or interest sales. I mean, exactly kind of what you talked about are it, it's representations or, or what the, the seller is saying, here's what my business is doing. Here's X and Y and Z about my yeah. business and all of the details that are pertinent to the sale, right? Yeah. Or the purchase of the, of the deal. Yeah. Yeah, so so that is the representations and warranties that we're talking about, or reps and warranties as as people in the M and A investment banking insurance world talk about. So when we talk about reps and warranties insurance, now um, explain the insurance a little bit, and then we'll talk about where it's appropriate, maybe okay. uh, more than not, you know, depending on deal size and things like that. So let's talk a little bit about reps and warranties insurance, and really totally. how that reps and warranties insurance helps the seller and also sometimes it helps the buyer. Yeah. So from a, from a high level, right? Reps and warranties, representations and warranties, all of those same things. It's designed specifically, right? To cover the losses resulting uh, from unknown breaches of the seller's representations and warranties, kind of what we just talked about um, and in, in a private acquisition agreement. So yeah. between a buyer and a seller, um, 
it's not a new product. It's been around for about 19, yeah. 20 years or so. Um, there have been some one-off deals kind of I've heard dating back into the 90s. But again, it, it, it's been around for about 19 years. Um, uh, the product, I mean, really from so 2000 was kind of formally introduced, um, was kind of a slow growth of it. Uh, there were, in that private equity boom, it took off a little bit. And then it gained a ton of traction in kind of that 2005, 2007 uh, okay. range is when the product really kind of started to, to make sense for some. Um, at that point, though, in 2005, 2007, it was just very expensive. Um, yeah. it, it was a new product. Uh, it was expensive, so not a lot of people could afford it. And at the same time, the, the scope of coverage wasn't great on the policies. So it really didn't make sense for a ton. Um, what actually, what really changed the rep and warranties industry was, so when the 2008 recession hit, uh, the market tanked for, from an insurance standpoint. And so to be competitive, the, the carriers who were kind of big players in the game at that point slashed the rates on it, essentially cut them in half. They were about trading at four to 6% and now it's like two to three. So essentially cutting it in half, so making it accessible to a lot more people. Wow. Um, once the market picked back up, it, they kind of stayed at that same pricing standpoint because they realized that it was more accessible and more people were interested in purchasing the coverage. Okay. Um, and since then, it's it's been huge. The past you know five years or so, it, it's really become uh, a, a very common policy in the M and A world for these yeah. transactions. Um, from a scenario standpoint of who's buying it and when they're using it. Um, we primarily see it 90% of the time, it's going to be from the buyer's perspective. So it's going to be a buy, the buyer is purchasing the policy. Okay. Um, sometimes within that, in that 90% range that we're talking about, sometimes a seller will pay the cost of the reps and warranty policy, but they'll be buying it for the buyer. So it's still a buyer's side policy, not okay. from the seller standpoint. So again, it's about 90% is what we're seeing. So when you say that, when you say that though, that means that if there is a claim that the buyer gets paid. Correct. Okay. And that's why it's being purchased. So that way it becomes that first party loss. They are filing the claim against their insurance policy because they see a breach in the reps and warranties that were made. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so I think we were talking about kind of the, the, who's buying it, why they're buying it, some of the scenarios. Um, it, it's to really, I mean, there are kind of three main points of who, why, why these policies are being purchased. Um, uh, one of them is to supplement the buyer's existing indemnification limits. So there might be an indemnity cap or survival periods uh, written into the contract. And so the, the buyer is wanting to, uh, they, they want to supplement what they can get back from an indemnification agreement if they don't feel like there's going to be enough. Okay. They would use this policy so they could essentially have access to more uh, more money in the event so that there was a situation yeah. where if they put so much money into escrow, because that's that's really where the, the seller was comfortable. Say the seller wanted to leave a million dollars in escrow, and they said, well, I'd really like to have $2 million in case there's more um, or $5 million, whatever the number is, they could buy insurance to cover that gap. They could. And that's actually a, so it's a little bit separate of a scenario. So this, this first one that we were, were talking about is 
in the contractual agreement, there may be an indemnity cap. So the seller may have a limit on what they can indemn what what their indemnity agreement is. And so if the buyer is saying, I don't feel comfortable with capping my indemnity at five million, right? Yeah. I, I feel like there's a little bit, you know, I might be out of pocket more in the event something were to happen. They'd yeah. be purchasing the policy to to give themselves a little bit bigger of a buffer. Okay. Um, okay. The point you just brought up is uh, essentially backstopping the existing escrow or indemnification yeah. obligation to the buyer. So a second type of thing to to lessen the escrow yeah. up front and and fill it with essentially an insurance policy. Yeah. And that's what we were looking at in the transaction because the, in that transaction, the buyer wanted to put a significant amount into escrow um, because of several reasons. And, and uh, we were looking at it for that. So, so the indemnification, I see how that works now. And the second one, like we just talked is for backstop to help to, so mm. in that situation though, <clears throat> the seller may even want to do it just because if the buyer, if the, if the, the, buyer wants you to leave five million in in escrow for a year, 18 months, or whatever it is, and they say, no, I really don't want to do that, you could buy a policy and maybe get by leaving a million in there or something like that. And and uh you can get the money out now. Correct. Yeah. And and we see that happening a lot. So okay. that I mean definitely that uh, um okay. Yeah. So a common use for it then. Completely. Okay, stop the escrow. All right. Mm -hmm. So you said there were three. What's the third one that you run into? Yeah, exactly. So the third one is uh, essentially similar to the first, right? It's to provide coverage to the buyer in lieu of a traditional indemnification limit. So it's essentially replacing the buyer's remedy for the breaches uh, related to the reps and warranties on the policy. Mm -hmm. um, so in lieu of a traditional indemnification limit, it would just be an insurance policy. So okay. similar rather than lessening or adding on top of the indemnity cap, it's in lieu of the indemnification okay. limit. Okay. So rather than put anything in there, the, the policy says it's covering you for this amount of in, indemnification and that's, that's where it's, that's where yeah. it's you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> when we, when we talk about these three different situations and this type of insurance, I mean, um, you're not talking about you're going to do this for a $500,000 deal. Where does this start to make sense? And where does it really make a lot of sense to use this type of insurance and from a size standpoint? Yeah, no, completely. Um, <clears throat> so really it starts to make sense. It doesn't completely doesn't make sense under about a $5 million deal size. So okay. if the deal is going to be about 5 million and under, it doesn't really make sense Yeah, for a few reasons. And we can kind of get into the structure of the policies and the cost associated um, at that 10 million mark and above. It is definitely something to consider, um, you know, 10, really 10 and up all the way into, you know, there are companies in the, the billions, right. That are <laughs> dealing with these. And I don't have too much, you know, you bring me a billion dollar deal, Damon, and I'm going to have to, you know, <laughs> get a little bit yeah. of help on that one but yeah you know so definitely the, the the 10 and above it definitely seriously consider it um or at least talk to a broker or talk to someone about the policies and the terms and to just get a little bit more info on it um under five it, it doesn't make sense yeah 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 
Okay, so you got to be, you know, 10 million is a nice spot to, if there's something that, that you need to talk about with indemnification, escrow backstops, or, or eliminating your escrow to a certain point, that this would be something to, to look at as an alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you talk about these kind of policies, what, what, how do you, how, how does it work? I guess, how does it work? How do you get started if, if somebody says, yeah. oh, I, I want to look at this? Yeah, of course. So the, the underwriting process is, is a little bit different than some um, because we know the traditional rate structure. So essentially, we can, if you came to me with a deal, we would be able to, to get a, a very rough understanding of what this is going to cost and is this going to make sense. Yeah. So from a, from a, a, a building the policy perspective, right? So it's going to be about, um, like we said, that deal size range above 10, the average limit bought of insurance. So when we're looking at deals from that 10 and above range, typically we see people buying about 10 to 20% of the deal size. So on a $10 million deal, they're traditionally buying about a million dollars of reps and warranties coverage. Okay. Again, that's a loose number. It, it can yeah. be tailored to what needs to make the deal work and fit, but roughly we see about 10 to 20%. Um, the premiums are about two and a half to 3% of the, of the limit bought. So again, a little bit higher, that 3% range is what we're going to be looking at for these deals in that $10 million range. And then as we get, you know, as we get higher and more premium is purchased, or excuse me, more uh, the limit's higher, the premiums drop to that two and a half, 2.6 range. So again, to our $10 million scenario, you know, the, 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 the buyer's buying a million dollars of insurance, their premium would be about $30,000 for that policy. Yeah. Um, 30, 30K for a million bucks coverage. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the deductible on those is about one to 1.5, one and a half percent of the deal size. So that's how they work. So, the, so in this scenario, if we just went off of 1% to the, you know, yeah. take the conversation, we're looking at the deductible about $100,000. So insured okay. would be out of pocket $100,000 at that point, then the policy kicks in to the limit of insurance that they bought. Okay. Um, what's a little bit different, excuse me, what's a little bit different about these types of policies versus a lot of other types of insurance policies is, um, there's going to be a large underwriting fee, which is a non-refundable fee that yeah. is paid that the insurance company then takes that money and pays a team of lawyers to do the due diligence on top of the due diligence, essentially. Yeah. So we see those fees are from $25,000 to $40,000. Again, that range is a range based on the complexity of the deal yeah. and how clean the financials are and so forth. So yeah. again, we look at that. So the typical structure of how all this all would work is with knowing these these sliding scales, you would say, Josh, I think I have a deal that makes sense. What's the next step? So what we would do is we would, uh, essentially I would need, we would take a buy-sell agreement, uh, yep. financials from the seller. Uh, most carriers want audited financials. Some carriers will accept non-audited, again, depending on the size of the deal and the scope. Yeah. And any deal marketing materials available. Yeah, we turn those all over to a handful of different insurance companies. We have about ten or fifteen—I forget—it's kind of sliding—who yeah. who do this. 
And uh, it would take them about two to three business days to give us a non-binding indication. So essentially what they would be saying is for your million dollar limit, it's going to be 30,000. The underwriting fee is going to be $25,000 and there's going to be a deductible of 100,000, right? Yeah. We would decide which company we think is the best fit. And then we would go and do a full underwriting on it. That's when you cut the check for the $25,000. The insurance yeah. company spends about five to 10 days, again, depending on the, the complexity of the deal. And they take those five to 10 days to do their due diligence on all of the information. Yeah. Um, at that point, you know, if it comes through and, you know, if we get the non-binding indication, it rarely, I mean, we, I've seen it once out of all of it where at the end of their underwriting, they said, no, <laughs> all of that yeah. was fake. You know, this yeah. is completely different than what you turned in. So if we get a non-binding indication from the carrier, it's usually ready to go, you know, but we still need that formal approval after that, you know, five to 10 business day review from their, their legal team. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're sitting here thinking about, I listen to you talk and I'm thinking about someone that is listening to us thinks that is a hell of a lot of work for an insurance policy on, on a business sale. But, I, it's to me, it's just an indication of the complexity, overall complexity of a business sale in and of itself. Because when you think of doing a 15, $20 million transaction, $10 million transaction, the complexity really doesn't change a hell of a lot uh, until you get really big. Uh, there is a ton of this kind of work that has to happen. This is just one of those pieces that that could could drop in a, into into and make a lot of sense because if I'm mm -hmm. sitting there in this transaction and I it's it's a it's a difference between I could potentially as a buyer my and in and in these transactions correct me if I'm wrong but most of them are are investment buyers they're trying to prevent the loss of an investment they really need this kind of insurance because it is a backstop for them not to have too many losses uh, for whatever reason on a transaction. And yeah. uh, it, again, it's just one of the pieces in the due diligence process for the, the purchase of a business that a, an investment buyer would probably go through or a strategic buyer, but these buyers have to go through because often understanding the risk that someone is going to take on by writing a check for 15 or $20 million or whatever the number is, um, because they've built this business over time. It's kind of like if you're, if you're a weightlifter and you can, you can, you know, you're like the world champion weightlifter. Well, to you, you've been working at that for years and years and years, and it's not that big a deal to you anymore. Um, because you've worked at it for years and years and years. But when you have to look at from beginning to end, that's a big, it's a big change. Yeah. And, uh, but this is really cool because it's a niche kind of thing. And it really is. There's a lot of, and, and, and people don't understand it because there's a lot of people. And, and two on, from a seller side, I, I can imagine too, from us, from the person selling the business, there are some times when it makes sense for them, like you said, to buy the policy that pays the buyer of the business so they can get a deal done. Ha have you run into that situation? We have. Yeah. So I've run into a, a situation where 
Um, I, I know traditionally, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it, it's a seller's market right now in M&As, right? Yeah. I mean, completely. We ran into a deal where the seller, it wasn't a super clean yep. transaction. And the seller was needed to sell. There were some things in the business that made it seem a little bit hairy, right? Yeah. And so he decided to front the cash to, to pay for a policy because he wanted to get the deal done. Yeah. He wanted to, to alleviate any sense of, of worry from a, from a buyer's perspective. On a clean deal, it, it rarely is, like we said, the, the seller buying it. Um, but, but again, and it, it really just depends and it, it changes on a case by case basis in the industry and the deal size. But from what I've seen with the sellers wanting to buy it was in this scenario, and this isn't always the scenario, but it was just a little, a little bit hairy of a, of a transaction. And he wanted to make sure to just kind of alleviate some of the concern. Yeah. Yeah. But if you were looking at it, if I'm selling the business, right. And it is a little bit, uh, hairy, there's something that makes it kind of not right and it could a little bit more risk than you if i had to spend if i was selling a business for 10 million dollars and i had to spend 70k or something like that to make sure i could get the deal done then i think that's a i'm gonna 10 million dollars or nothing yeah. or or maybe seven million dollars even a hundred k out of that just rough numbers if they, it's gonna be less than that but that's well worth it in some some situations yeah. Yeah, and and like you said, right? If it if it adjusts your multiple on that purchase on the sale and and how clean and yeah how attractive of a of a of a of a buy it is, then it, it's completely worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I and that's what I was thinking about too. And you know, like I said, the situation we were in, it was to backstop an escrow. They didn't want to leave that much into escrow. We were looking at some other things, but I really think that in the situations where you're selling a, a business where you know whatever kind of risk that's there that that would potentially make like you said drop your multiple a little bit or not allow you to get a deal done it would be relatively inexpensive compared to being able to get something done or not of course yeah and and a lot of these people are in the situation where they you know uh, you know, they just want to get it done, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that's interesting. Well, you know, uh, Josh, what what happened when we talked about on, on reps and warranties insurance do you think we should? Um, I, I have a little bit of uh, claims examples, if that yeah, really yeah, intrigues cool. you. I know that, that kind of yeah. makes it a little bit, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's solidifies cool. why why this is important, right? So yeah. AIG is a, is a massive player, massive insurance company. They're a huge player in reps and warranties work, and they just came out in 2019 with a study. Um, they've been tracking since the beginning uh, the deals, and we're on an upward trajectory of claims. It, it's rising, essentially, and uh, the severity of claims is also increasing. Um, so... Uh, let me just make sure. Oh, yeah, so they have getting bigger. They're getting bigger. The claims are getting, are getting bigger. The claims are getting bigger. So uh, from 2011, 2017, AIG wrote 2,900 of these policies. Um, and of those 2,900, they had about 580 claims. So about 20% claims rate is what they're taking on these policies. Um, the, it, the, Frequency increases 
on the deals between that 500 million and a billion range, it jumps up a, a good portion. Um, again, not really the, the, the realm I'm playing in <laughs> maybe one day, but, but they have more lawyers to figure out if they should make a claim or not, you know? Exactly. Um, so the, what has been interesting is, uh, so large losses, what they consider a large loss is over 10 million is the loss. Those have jumped from 18 or excuse me, 8% in 2017 to 15% this oh, year in 2019. So in three years, it went from 8% to 15% that they're seeing claims that are coming in above 10 million. So that was a, that was a big, a, a big hit to the industry seeing those claims jump yeah. essentially. Yeah. Um, and the average loss in that realm of that above 10 is about 19 million. Okay. So again, some big numbers. Yeah. Um, uh, let me see. Just I have some of their statistics up that don't make sense for what we're talking about. It's just a, it just this this type of insurance and knowing deals and, and going through them. It's it is interesting. Uh, you know, big deals are interesting, but just just the 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 way that you could shape your risk with this. Yeah. And, no. Exactly. And. And so here, here's a, a fantastic, and I, I, I kind of prepared this one because I, I knew that when I have these conversations with insurance, it's, it's easy to think that's ah, never going to happen. Yeah. Right? That's, that's big. And so bringing it kind of a, a tangible event. So we, we had, we, we processed a claim um, about eight months into a transaction. Uh, let me see. So strategic buyer completed the testing of physical assets. So they, yep. they said they made a representation of the physical assets of a, of a purchase. I know that you deal with a lot of tangible yep. property companies. Yep. Um, and so the, and they're testing to demonstrate that one of the assets had purchased was in poor condition and it required a ton of repair and possibly being replaced. So talked with their lawyers, talked to the insurance company, and they constituted it was a breach of representations of warranties on the seller's side, essentially. Um, they had a $5 million policy and after it all said and done, it was essentially covered in full to replace the, the equipment yeah. that they had minus, minus the deductible. So yeah. from a, a physical standpoint, back to what we were talking about in the representations, they said, this machine is in this, you know, condition yeah. and it wasn't so well, and that's, it was a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. In, in some of these manufacturing companies, I mean, you have multi-million dollars and even multi-tens of million dollars of pieces of equipment or production mm -hmm. line or whatever it is. And that I, I see that would be a big deal in those yeah. kind of situations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. That, that's, 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 that's cool to hear about. I mean, it, and it, it is um, something that I know that the sellers of businesses, this is so far afield from what you normally would be, would be thinking about. It's, Hopefully, uh, you know, if we can get get this information out to somebody and they go, ah, maybe I should consider that. And it does help them and be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Josh, it was awesome talking to you about this. I know that Likewise. It, it's uh, it, it, it's fascinating to me. And I, I like uh, just because I like deal work. But um, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? So, yeah, completely. So you can. Uh reach me by email or phone call. Okay. Um, and I, I 
give you it now or if I can, you want to publish it later, I don't, whatever I'll you want. It. I'll put the links in the, in the thing and in the, uh, both in the comments and then I'll drop it into our LinkedIn as well here. So people can, uh, can hit you yeah. there LinkedIn and, yeah. and talk to you about this because email I, or call. Yeah. Email or call. We'll do that. But yeah, Josh, thanks so much for stopping by today. Cause I, I know that, um, you know, ours, ours was a chance because we needed to talk about something that we met. But I, it's, I really appreciate you explaining this to me, and and I'm sure others that are going to watch this are going to get some good out of it too. So, um, thanks a lot for stopping by. Thank you oh, all for listening, and uh, we will be back again. Josh Acosta's Acosta, and it's United. It, it, tell me the the name of the company. United Western Insurance Brokers. UWIB.com uwib.com very good yep. and uh we will have that in the notes but thanks for being here of course thank right. you bye